Welcome to Westside Podcast. Each week, we'll take a relevant topic under the microscope to see what the Bible has to say about it. You will gain tools and information you need to support your faith walk and build Christ-centered families in Kansas City and beyond. I'm your host, Troy Kennedy. Well, there are four major issues facing the church today. Um, Two of them are owned by the political left, typically, and two of them are owned by the political right. The sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, racial reconciliation, and justice for the poor. Now, as Christ followers, we are called to own all of them. That's right. Uh, That's what Jesus has for us. It's not about partisanship. It's not about any kind of political agenda. It's about following Jesus and allowing him to inform the way we interact with these real issues in the real world here today. Uh, Pastor Randy Frazee joins me here today, as always, as we address the issue of the sanctity of life today. What does Scripture have to say, and how do we respond and honor the heart of the Savior? Yes, uh, I'm super excited about having this. And again, this came out of uh, of this whole political tension that we're in, and yet we realize that there's a variety of Christians who do not have a biblical worldview, and uh, that's not you know shame on them, but you know a little bit of pushback on mm-hmm. us that we haven't provided an outlet whereby people can go like, well, right. did you ever tell me what that was? And right. so that's part of this podcast. And and uh, these four issues that you mentioned, uh, they're very clear in the Bible. Right. And uh, But I'm not sure that all of our people know right. when we say they're clear in the Bible, where would that be? Uh, can you can you go over those again? Yeah. And there are even more issues in these four, but these are the four issues that are dividing us mm-hmm. politically. And the follower of Christ is called to rise above and to serve King Jesus over mm-hmm. President anybody. Right. And uh, that's our first allegiance. And so super excited about this topic. It's very dear to my heart. And I know, Troy, you and I's uh, goal is to, is to lean into what Jesus has to say, what the Bible says, and uh, knowing this is a sensitive, sensitive right. topic, and we don't want to be insensitive. And so right up front, we know that probably some things we're going to say are going to maybe uh, right. be challenging for some people, but we want to sh- we want to blanket all of this with a lot of grace. Absolutely. And then the whole point of this is, I mean, a, the reason a lot of pastors will avoid this topic is because it, because it is so sensitive, because it has been so politicized, yes. and there's so much history in the United States about how it is, you know, we have Roe v. Wade, and we have the statistics of just, you know, millions of infants who have been aborted, and on one hand, you were appalled at that loss, and on the other hand, we don't want to walk in condemnation of women who have, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. gone through that experience, and so how how do we juxtapose those two things? How do we walk sensitively and clearly at the same time to give Christ followers just some clarity on what does the Scripture have to say? What really is our position? Forget about politics. Forget about who's the president. Forget about the Supreme Court. How do we follow Jesus into this and love people where they are in their actual needs as they they might be compelled to have an abortion based on this? And uh, as you said before we got started here, it's not just about abortion. We're thinking about the sanctity of life yeah. from womb to tomb. It's not just, yeah. you know, uh, this, this is obviously a, a hot topic, but it just has to do with how we view people and life in general. You were saying it's like, I don't even want to, I want to hurt a caterpillar if it's in my well, house. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, we're going to put a lot of time probably in on the uh, the issue of the, of the, of the, in the womb, mm-hmm. uh, but we are, uh, you know, and, and and I think we should probably lay out some, I don't know when you want to lay out some biblical, I've got, some, you know, like four biblical uh you know, kind of, you know, make sure that people get that up front. Right. 
But I do want to say that, you know, throughout human history, uh, the topic of infanticide, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to euth euthanasia right. uh, amongst the elderly, uh, and so, the, you, know, the, you know, God has a lot to say about this. And right up front, in case someone is tuning in and they hear this and they go, oh, no, I'm going to listen, but I know, you know, I, maybe I've had an abortion and, right. and it, it came about by this reason and I was duped or my boyfriend or it was convenient and I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. As powerful as the Scripture, as clear as the Scripture is about the sanctity of life, is the Scripture is also clear about forgiveness. Yes. And we want to set that up front before we dive into any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So just jumping in here, this is uh, it's a difficult topic. And um, just, just to start off, so we ask ourselves, what is abortion? Um, what exactly is this? And you look on... Uh, Planned Parenthood's website, and they give you some details, and you know, without getting too in depth on that, they say that it's a deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, mm -hmm. most often during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy, but not restricted to that. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, uh, we know a mother can start feeling a child move by 20 weeks. So, uh, in the first trimester in clinic, a doctor or nurse uses medical instruments and gentle suction to remove the pregnancy from your uterus. This is just directly from the Planned Parenthood website. They describe the abortion pill this way. It says you take pills that end your pregnancy and make your uterus expel the pregnancy tissue, not unlike an early miscarriage. Yeah. So that's how they would frame it. And yeah. thousands and thousands of women go into clinics uh, every day and have this procedure done. And I think it's important that you used, you know, Planned Parenthood's definition because I think that's that, that really helps to set, you know, so it helps to set the uh, conversation up. Right. And we're trying to really really get it from both sides. Right. And th so the question here isn't really whether pregnancy tissue is human or not. No one is going to dispute the humanity of the tissue or the zygote or the fetus that's in the womb. It, we, it's, it's not a baby elephant. It's not something else. We know it's human. So the, really the question is, and this is the question that gets bounced around um, in so many different ways, is the personhood of the zygote is mm -hmm. is it a person what what point does yeah a, a, from conception does it become a person because you attach if you have a something a human then it's a person if it's a person it has rights and at what point does it have rights and at what point does it deserve protection so that's really that's the, the heart question. and soul yeah I, I, a number of years ago as a younger pastor i did a series uh, on uh, is god uh, a, a republican or democrat and i lost half my congregation uh, but it was a really good—I I brought up uh, two lawyers. Uh, one uh, was a Republican, one was a Democrat. And right. I just—I went to the Democrat and said, how—you know, I mean, help, help me think about this from a Christian perspective, mm -hmm. you know. And and he brought up something that was really interesting, which is to your point. He said, you got to keep in mind that no matter, who, no matter who's on the Supreme Court, they are, in, they, they are uh, judging based upon the law. And right now, the law about what is a person, so Amy Coney, Coney Byron, uh, Barrett, uh, yeah. uh, she's going to have to uh, rule on the basis of the law, and the law right now has a specific definition of when does that tissue become a person. Mm -hmm. And unless you change that, right. she's obligated to rule right. in favor of the letter, a, of, the law. The letter of the mm -hmm. law unless you change the letter of the law. Right. Now, in the courts, they're trying to push that a lot in terms right. of making it even later and later and later. And so uh, so you've, you've really addressed for a lot of people, it was news to me, right. the big issue is when does our law, and then mm -hmm. when does God, and when does the law of the United States right. say that that tissue becomes an actual person? And there's differences even in the way it's interpreted from state to state. In mm -hmm. New York, they'll say um, it defines a person as a human being outside of the womb. So that, that 
fetus is that that baby isn't a baby, isn't a person mm-hmm. until it exits the birth canal. Right. But in the state of Georgia, mm-hmm. they define a person as a human being with a heartbeat. So within about six weeks of gestation, and then other places they would say, hey, it's a human from it's a person, excuse me, from conception, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a moving target. So you see these conversations in the states of New York, even as ugly as it sounds, post, like it could even be minutes out of the birth canal. And that is up for consideration as as to whether that is abortable in terms of its personhood. So it's a really big question. And um, the thing that's always been in my mind is, even if you take scripture out of the equation and no one really has a good definitive answer as to when personhood actually occurs. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then it's kind of a civil rights issue. Right, 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 right. And if we don't really know when this tissue is a person, you'd think you would err on the side of yeah. protecting that life as opposed to being more disposable with that's it. A, I think that's a really well, uh, well-made point. And that was actually, if you remember, you and I are old enough to remember Ronald Reagan. Right. That was his... You know, brilliant point of view. You know, I thought he was good at that. He goes like, "Okay, there's debate here, but what happens if 20 years from now we discover the truth and found out it was at conception? Right. Right. Are we prepared? Right. Because ignorance—you can't claim ignorance when you kill 67 million people. Right. I mean, you just—that's bigger than like mm-hmm. any other cat- catastrophe, holocausty kind of thing, right? I mean, maybe yeah. not as. And uh, uh, you know, so you know, so he's saying, why don't we err on the side of life, right. just in case we happen to be wrong here? And that's the point you're making. Right, right? it's exactly the point, and it, and it just seems obvious. But once again, it gets politicized. It gets uh, we we you know, we know in art get into the heads of people and say what their motives are. But it's it seems like it's a little bit arbitrary to say that after conception you've got these markers that we're determining is personhood. So is it when there's a heartbeat, like in the state of Georgia? Some people would argue it's when the, the fetus can feel pain. Um, but in some places, it's in the womb, and it's not a person. And then five seconds later, outside the womb, it is a person. And so why? Mm-hmm. Why is that the determining factor? Um, historically, the application of personhood has led to some of the greatest human rights violations mm-hmm. that you can imagine, mm-hmm. injustices and atrocities in mm-hmm. history. Everything from slavery to the Holocaust have been justified by the question of whether a person is a person or not. You had things that were put into law, like the Three-Fifths Law uh, regarding black people in the Constitution. And a person then um, isn't a person, then rationally and ethically, it's permissible to kill that non-person. But if we can't really define when personhood occurs, it seems like we should err on the side of protecting those who don't have a voice, those who have no defense. Yeah, I think it's good to, that you go outside of the realm of just the, the, the fetus to other mm-hmm. times in history uh, where groups of people uh, around the world have determined that someone uh, right. isn't a human. Uh, the I Jews, the, the yeah. gypsies in Europe during World War II. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Uh, my, my, our, our son and daughter-in-law are looking to uh, adopt um, up to three siblings who are oh. Bulgarian gypsies. And um, I don't know what the current status of them, uh, them is, but in the past, they've been considered uh, inhuman, yeah. and they've been mistreated. Uh, I did a, uh, did, did a message for our one campaign coming up, and, and uh, in, in 
connection with faith comes by hearing and, and learned about a, a, Peru, a group of uh, a Peruvian, a Peruvian village where I can't remember the name of them, uh, but they were so mesmerized by the story of the woman with the issue of blood wow. because uh, she was unclean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and whenever you know, she touched Jesus, you know, and he turned around. Mm-hmm. Th- right. They're 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 entering into the story and 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 their oral tradition people. So they're thinking, this is me, and we know that this popular guy at the time, Jesus, is going to turn around and say, "Get your dirty hands off of me, you animal!" <laughs> you know, really. And right. uh, and so and, and when he said, you know, go, your faith has healed, you know, made you whole, and they just started weeping. It's their favorite story in the Bible because th- in their community they were not considered to have a human soul, and therefore. While it was a misdemeanor to kill uh, uh, one of them, mm-hmm. it wasn't a felony. It wasn't a capital crime. Right. And so it's not just related to the topic of the fetus. Right. Uh, there have been in, in human history, and even today, mm-hmm. there are groups of people that are trying to fudge on the definition of when does a a, a, a person get human rights, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is fully personhood? Yeah, what is it? Right, you know, you can be partially human, it's just a misdemeanor versus being a felony, and, and who gets to decide? Right? Who gets to determine what those things are? In the case of abortion, uh, personhood is typically relegated to a few different factors. There's location. Mm-hmm. In other words, is it in, in the body, outside of the body? Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, there's dependence. Like, so how dependent is, because the infant or the fetus is completely dependent on the body of the mother, um, but that doesn't take into account, well, fetuses or, or babies are very dependent on the mother outside of the body, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. one of the factors. Um, we can we can address these individually intellectual mm-hmm. capacity and consciousness um, and then a couple of others quality of life mm-hmm. another what kind of quality of life will this uh, person have or uh, the mother's ability to care for the infant so if we back up to say location well so in in the uterus or in the, in the body out of the body why is that a factor yeah well, and who determined that that was the the where you draw the line on personhood um, dependence so because they're so dependent, right, that, that, that they're abortable. But think if you apply that, almost all of these things can be applied to people who are already outside of the body, location, right? You can, or uh, what about dependence? How about the handicapped and the elderly or people who are very, very sick? Mm-hmm. By that same logic, then you would think that, well, then we can use the same logic that the Nazis used, uh, people who had mental disabilities, people who had, whose intellectual capacity was compromised, or people who were uh, a burden on society, yeah, right? elderly. Yeah. These mm-hmm. were, uh, these in the 1920s up to the beginning of World War II, this was the rationale that the Nazis used to cleanse the mental hospitals of Germany, um, mm-hmm. to kill thousands and thousands of people. They even um, sterilized some 300,000 people before the war even started. Yeah. Um, so there was this question of dependence, intellectual capacity, even consciousness. Mm-hmm. You could say, uh, well, what about folks who are in a coma? Is it okay to kill them? What about people who are on anesthesia? What about people who are uh, mentally incapacitated or even just or just have lower IQs? Um, all of these rationales historically have been used uh, to kill people who are f- functioning outside of the womb, yet it's the same logic we're using to kill people who are inside of the womb. That's exactly right. That's a that's a that's a good word and a good and a, and a good and and, a, and and the people that did it, particularly the Nazis, felt very deeply about their belief system. They mm-hmm. made these decisions, and the question is, were these the right decisions to make? Should we be playing in this 
arena mm -hmm. at all? And are we leaving room, you know, for the bigger story that God is trying to write through this? And I know we can share several stories, and right. we probably will before the podcast is over. So for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, in World War II, the um, they were there was a, an order that went out to basically euthanize everybody who was in a, a mental hospital. And there was actually a Catholic priest in Germany who did a very public sermon that really raised up a public outcry. And actually Hitler stopped the killing of disabled people based on this uh, Catholic priest's uh, cry to the community. So it's actually, this is, a, this is a man who made a difference and actually stopped the euthanizing of disabled people in Germany. Wow. One guy who was willing to stand up in the face of, can you imagine the kind of social pressure that he felt? And so in a way, the people who are advocating for life within the womb are doing something similar. They're trying to stand up and say, this is important, this isn't right. This is wrong in the eyes of God, and it should be wrong in the eyes of atheists. Yeah. You know, it's not just tissue. There's, we're protecting the civil rights of somebody who does not have a voice. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, we're going to want to lay out some, some, some. At least, uh, from my estimation, uh, you know, some four biblical passages mm -hmm. of scripture. You want to do that? Yeah. You know, now, later. We'll you just do that now. You want to yeah. do that now? Yeah. I mean, because I, we, one of the things we want to walk away with is for you to have. Um, a couple of scriptures. I mean, we can dive into deep theology and, and, and send you to books and all that, but there are four, uh, just four concepts in scripture, four passages of scripture. Uh, so one would be Genesis, where God mm -hmm. breathes life into uh, Adam's nostrils, yeah. and that is the word ruach, yeah. which is the same word for pneuma, mm -hmm. uh, where we get pneumatology yeah. or the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. And that's God is breathing life into it, and God is the, the giver of life, right. and that's his domain. And for a follower of Jesus, again, someone who's not, doesn't, doesn't see validity in the Bible, I do, mm -hmm. you know, that's where we're coming from. God is the giver of life. That's his domain. Uh, the second one is Psalm 139, and you, uh, you called that one out mm -hmm. as well. I mean, it is just, the, it's just this beautiful, um, it's not a science book, but it is, right. uh, it is a beautiful declaration of how the, the psalmist understood uh, uh, the, uh, you know, you have it on the back of your sheet here, so mm -hmm. let me just read it here. Okay. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, for you created my inmost being, you knitted me together in my mother's mm -hmm. womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That would be the womb, right? Uh, or even before that, you know, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Mm -hmm. And there's just some beautiful things here about this, this passage of Scripture that gives us a sense of, of life in the womb. You, 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 your eyes saw my unformed body. <laughs> and so this is the psalmist inspired by God saying, right. you know, before I look like a, a person, mm -hmm. you know, you were uh, superintending this process. And then all the days that were ordained for me were written in your book, that God has a plan for this person. Right. And we see that with the prophet Jeremiah. Even before he was born, you know, even before he was born, God had this plan set before, mm -hmm. and there was a sense of purpose to that. So, uh, and, and the next one I'll give you is the Ten Commandments out of Exodus. Mm -hmm. You know, God says, uh, you know, I give life, uh, but you're, you're not allowed to take it. And so thou shalt not kill mm -hmm. is, is a command that I think very easily spills over into the New Testament in terms of a, of a moral law that God is, is laying down. Right. And the last one I called out in our last uh, podcast 
in that Psalm uh, 82, which basically gives us the reason uh, that God is going to hold governments responsible right. for uh, how they lead and judge, and particularly as it relates to people who are fatherless, the people who don't have a voice, uh, right. the people who that, that are depending upon leadership. And mm-hmm. God says, one day... I am going to hold you accountable, and I'm going to be in the judge seat, and you're going to be uh, in the in the uh, you're going to be in the hot seat, and I'm going to judge you for particularly for how you took care and treated people and oversaw people who didn't have a voice, and I think that would certainly include uh, the unborn child amongst a bunch of other people, and for me, when it comes to uh, giving the right to speak into who my government leaders are, who mm-hmm. my judges are, right. then I feel like because I've been given the freedom to speak into that, then I'm going to want to I'm going to want to speak up for judges who have this right to life or sanctity of life right. thing figured out. W- right. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And you know, we we live in a special place where we actually get to contribute to mm-hmm. the leadership of our country and um a lot of people fought long and hard to have that right, and uh, and people on both sides of the issue have a voice, and they, they should exercise that voice. And at the same time, um, people who shouldn't be cowed into submission by fear of uh, ridicule or by fear of you know the other side exercising some kind of power over them. You know, I think sometimes as Christians we we're so one we're so afraid to be. Um, politically offensive yeah. one or we're so afraid to that someone is going to feel condemnation who is who has experienced something like this that we don't say much of anything and so then we're not really giving clarity and giving encouragement to people who might be on the edge of doing something like this so for the sake of not stepping on someone's toes we don't do much of anything and yeah. i think that's equally uh wrong and we could be equally culpable for being silent yeah, on issues that clearly are a priority for our Creator. Yeah, I um, there's a, a wonderful movie out called The Return to the Hiding Place. You know, it's during yeah. the Holocaust, yeah. and it's on our recommended movie watch list. It's a it's a remake of The Hiding Place. Yeah. Uh, this uh, good friend of mine uh, remade the movie and focused on the Teenage Resistance Army, mm. a bunch of courageous teenagers that were helping to uh, escape. Uh, you know, right. Jewish people out of the Netherlands, and uh, I think they were able at the end of the day, even though most of those teenagers uh, ended up dying, uh, g- getting killed, um, uh, they saved, I think, 800 Jews in the Netherlands during uh, Hitler's r- regime, and um, and uh, in, in the, uh, there's a quote in the movie uh, where they uh, were basically said, um, it was only 5% of mm-hmm. the people that were killing the Jews, right. and uh, there was 5% of the population that was trying to rise up against them, right. you know, like uh, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer right. and Corey Ten Boone mm-hmm. and this teenage resistant army, ninety percent, you know, which was a Christian mm-hmm. nation at the time, ninety mm-hmm. percent did absolutely nothing, yeah. and I think from Psalm eighty two. Uh, when you see how God's going to hold judges responsible for how they right. handle people who did not have a voice, and we live in a country where we have the we have the freedom to vote them in, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be, in my estimation, somewhat culpable right. uh, for for the way in which we handle that. I know that's, that sounds political, but that comes from a from a very biblical right. uh, biblical rootedness. Well, so let me let me pose a few things to you, Randy, just to kind of get your response because there's there's a lot of um, 
there, there are folks who have t- typical resistance to, who, who are pro, uh, pro-choice people, typical re- resistance to this idea of legislating their morality mm-hmm. in some kind of way. So one of the things you typically hear is, don't tell me what to do with my body. Um, and that sounds like a, it's a legitimate you know, resistance to that. What, how would you respond to that? Well, uh, I think this is one where we got to camp for just a little bit because mm-hmm. the Christian, thoughtful Christian leaders I know, men and women, uh, who are pro-choice, mm-hmm. um, but they themselves wouldn't have an abortion, right. uh, believe that it is appropriate to give a woman the right to choose uh, not have the government you know, legislate, you know, things related to the body. And I think my response would be, you know, that all, all the laws right. that we have <laughs> legislate what we can right. and can do with our body. You know, I can't, you know, I can't, uh, you know, I can't, you know, take in right. su- substances that they're, they're legal. And, and so, right. you know, I, th- I think that there's just, it, 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 I understand mm-hmm. the emotion where you're coming from because I also think we should do a podcast on the history of women right. and the abuse that has happened in the lives of women. And I think sometimes right. guys like you and me that talk about, you know, right to life and abortion, you know, don't at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledge and, uh, and with emotion, you know, how uh, predominantly male-dominated societies have uh, abused right. women throughout history. And this is the beauty of Christian men talking about this mm-hmm. because our leader, Jesus, was radical and liberal as it related to the value of women and how he interfaced with them. Right. So I think we have to acknowledge, I think we have to acknowledge that. Absolutely. But when it yeah. comes to the body, my, my response would be that, um, that, um, that all laws, you, you wrote it down here, all laws are restrictions on what right. you can and cannot do with your body. Right. Yeah. I just can't go and hit you. Right. Because there's a law that says, I can't hurt you with my body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and that's a good thing. We, we appreciate that yeah. legislation. Yeah, so sure. the, I think it's a true concept. It's a true concept. And we shouldn't, government shouldn't be legislating all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should be as liberal as possible. But there has to be uh, a, just a logical guideline that says, right. I can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and another one, and if, if there's a baby in the womb and, and that, and, and, and that, and we're, 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 we're basically saying out of, particularly out of convenience, mm-hmm. you know, you're going, it's just not a good time for right. you, but it's your right with your body. I mean, that is, that there's got to be a line drawn somewhere that says women have the wonderful, unique privilege of being able to carry mm-hmm. uh, a human being, you know, a, a person in their womb. Right. And there's a holiness, that there's a sacredness to that. And uh, we, we need to respect uh, the, the woman and, and the man and all people. Right. But here's a very unique situation that we're going to have to come to some sort of understanding right. with. Well, oddly enough, too, sometimes the, even the law is inconsistent in that regard. Because, for instance, if sure. you hit a pregnant woman with your car, you can be charged for double murder. Yeah, I know. Double homicide. So yeah. suddenly the law says that that is a person. Mm-hmm. But then the mother can decide it's not a person mm-hmm. at another point. So there's a little bit of a this odd tension between the rights of the individual, the rights of a mother, and the, and what the law actually dictates. And there's even the emotion. I mean, you'll see this with a friend of yours. You'll see it on a commercial where a young couple 
it finds out that they're pregnant and it's in the early stages mm -hmm. and they're super, super excited. If people really didn't believe in those early stages, right. it they would say, why are you getting so excited? Mm -hmm. This is not a person. This is not a human being. This is just tissue. Now, when you get to a certain point, then whatever that point may be, depending on your point of view, sure. we say, why? And I, and I see people that are for, you know, are not against abortion, that when they get pregnant because they want to, they're treating that tissue in their right. mind as a person, as a human yeah. being. I'm like, that's inconsistent. Right. You know, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, you got to let your emotion and your intellect sort of right. join in together. Well, and if you've ever, you know, my wife and I, uh, when we got married, we tried to have children for five years. We had a couple of miscarriages mm. and there was no tissue, man. No. That was that was emotionally, uh, spiritually, a weighty, heavy grief that we experienced. Right, our lived experience was mm. that that was an enormous loss. Yeah. And um, between us and God, and anybody is going to tell us any different, right? No one would ever say that. Oh, it's just it's just tissue. You just you know, if you miscarried, you just you just lost some some kind of field tissue. It's going to be all right. No one would be cold enough to say that yeah. to a mother who had that kind of a loss. And yet intellectually, that's what they genuinely believe, right? right? And so if something doesn't match up, even though we're having an intellectual conversation here, something doesn't, ma doesn't match up right. with your spirit when you put it in that context, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, it's very odd. Um, so another statement that says that uh, if, if, you, if you were to make abortion illegal, it will make abortions more dangerous for desperate women. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I think the, you, you and you you got this statistic here that the number of women dying from abortions are the same after Roe v. Wade as before, right. and uh, and and I think from an intellectual point of view, uh, I do believe. And, and, and you know, the question is, what do you mean by desperate? You know, I mm -hmm. guess by desperate, you know, um, you know, what's the circumstances? It's a desperate circumstance, or they're going to be, I don't know. They're young, and their parents are going to be mad. I, I mean, it and could they're, they're going to go off and do it anyhow. They're going to do it and, regardless uh, because they have to for whatever reason. Well, maybe you can think out loud with me of other things that we can do that uh, that you know that are that would be illegal. And saying, okay, do we want to make something that, in my mind, is immoral legal so that a person who's in a desperate situation can right. go do it in a way that protects them? Right. It, I don't know. Um, Does it still rationalize killing another human? To me, there's a higher order of things that right. says if you believe, and I do, that mm -hmm. that uh, at the moment of conception, uh, from a scriptural point of view, and even an intellectual point of view, mm -hmm. we should err on the side that that is a that is a full person with right. full human rights. Then I would say that in the higher order of of, of things, that's just the higher order of things, and you don't make the, mm -hmm. the, it, it illegal to you you, tr you try to solve that situation in a different way. Right. And and I'm assuming you know that 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 uh, the number of women dying. Um, is the same uh, after right. Roe v. Wade's right. before. Um, if that's factual, then right. You don't do. You know, you don't. One evil doesn't justify another one. Yeah. Um, you want. You know, it's as terrible as it is, and as desperate as a woman could be. Is that really the solution? Right. Um, and it's once again a couple of dudes in here. It's easy to say. Yeah. But I would say this. Um, you know, what people say. One of the typical responses is say. You know, we don't. Keep your keep your hands off my body. You don't mm -hmm. get to control my body. You know, speaking to men, but the truth is, the vast majority of people who are uh, resistant and who who go out to marches and who go out to clinics and who offer resources to women are other women. Um, the 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 right to life movement is led 
by women yes. in the United States. And rightfully so. I've right. told my wife, who feels very passionate about this, she will be listening to this podcast, and I want to give a plug for her. She's an intelligent woman. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, you know, guys like Troy and I, we can't really lead this movement. Uh, mm -hmm. Mothers and women are the ones who have to lead it, and that's who is, in fact, leading right. it, and rightfully so. Can I throw one at you? Yeah. Uh, this, the phrase, uh, it won't stop the practice. What right. would you say to that? Well, that's like saying we have laws against rape, but it won't stop rapists, so let's not have the law. That doesn't make any sense. Of course we have laws. Laws don't stop the behavior. Um, laws make the behavior illegal. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's a deterrent to that behavior, but no law stops all crime. No. And so, so it's just a little incoherent as in terms of its logic, it, that it won't stop the practice. Well, if we determine that it's wrong and that it is actually the ending of a, a person's life, then of course it needs to be illegal. And Troy, I've talked to several um, women mm -hmm. as well as boyfriends or husbands who forced their wife, you know, to right. go get an abortion with tears strolling down their face and they simply said the government told me it was okay and and i was young and i assumed wow. that it would be okay and now i'm dealing with the devastation of this and believe it's not okay but i trusted my government right. you know in this particular way and i think a lot of people are misled and i think anybody listening should realize that just because a human government says it you you're going to want to go to a higher power right. and your citizenship is in heaven and find out what god says and that's why i think you know being tethered to the scriptures right. being tethered to a church is really important making it a, a major part of your life to uh, to understand what a biblical right. worldview is looking through life through the lens of god's bigger plan is going to be important otherwise you might find yourself duped which a lot of people that i've talked to personally mm -hmm. have felt that way well and this is going to sound cold and i don't mean it that way but a lot of people too they to um displace the responsibility yeah of whether it is right or it is wrong. Um, a lot of people who would have said, well, you know, the government says that these Jewish people aren't really people, so I'm just following orders. Yeah, yeah. Well, does that make it okay? No, I mean, it, I, it doesn't. And, it doesn't. And the logic doesn't hold up. And I, once again, I, not, not to be unkind to people who have had that conversation, and I understand the logic of it, when you're desperate and you're looking for reasons to to rationalize a horrible thing you feel cornered by. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, like you just articulated so well, we have to rise above that to what is really right mm -hmm. and what does God really call us to. Mm -hmm. And just because government says it's permissible does not mean that it is uh, justified. That's exactly right. Um, sometimes you get a typical uh, response is, well, what about cases of rape and incest? Um, I don't, know, I don't want to corner you with that. No, no, no. I have a lot of deep <laughs> feelings about it, and I'll even tell a story uh, in it. Uh, you know, let me even you know, go back. Uh, one yeah. related to, uh, and, and this will be a similar story, uh, when we have a son, David, that was mm -hmm. born without a left hand, and someone said to us, just very innocently, because David's the only one we didn't have a sonogram for, and so we did not know he was oh. born without a left hand. And someone, just very innocent, I don't hold him you know, accountable for it, um, you know, uh, hold anything against them. They said, uh, had you known that David was going to be born without a hand, would you have considered aborting him? Oh and and uh, the answer is no way, because my faith causes me 
to trust that God has a bigger story in place. And, and Troy, you know David today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not only is he a deep follower he's of a Jesus, powerhouse. he's a powerhouse <laughs> man. He is a litigator in Washington, D.C. His, yeah. his uh, office is 1717 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're in the process of adopting uh, one to three Bulgarian gypsies over the age of three, which oh, means let's, gosh, let's identify who are the least of the least spit on people in the world. That's who we want. Don't bring us perfect people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful that he's, he's in the world today. Now, on, on the issue of rape and incest, and, and you've rightfully identified that uh, that's about 1%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people use this, and it's really just such a small. Right. The scriptures would say, you know, do not return evil with evil. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby in the womb is not the one to be right. punished for the uh, the despicable act of rape and incest, which right. is one of the most despicable, despicable things right. a, a person can do to violate another person. Uh, but that baby in the womb isn't the cause of that. And uh, I would say that from a scriptural point of view and a logical point of view, from a scriptural point of view, it's like God's got a bigger story he's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't return evil for evil. From a logical point of view, the baby is not the cause of the crime. Right. And you don't solve... You don't solve that uh, uh, violence against you by snuffing out the life of the child. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one story. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've told the story here at, at Westside. It happened uh, in San Antonio when I was there. A, um, a, uh, a guy that I know uh, who is the CEO of C12, the largest convener of uh, <laughs> C- CEOs in the world, uh, is a massive organization. It's doing a lot of good. And uh, he, was, uh, he was also a part-time pastor at one time, and there was, uh, in San Antonio, there's a, a military hospital, and he had a friend that was there, and he was going back enough that the hospital gave him a chaplaincy uh, so that, you know, he could get through the guard gates and all of that. And he called his mom when he was in, it was in Alaska and said, Mom, I just want to tell you that it's crazy. I'm now a chaplain mm-hmm. at the, uh, the military hospital in San Antonio. And she hung up the phone and didn't get back with him for two weeks. And finally, she got back. They, they, he got back in touch with her, and she says, "I can't believe that you're a chaplain there." He says, "What's wrong, mom?" She says, "Well, I've never told you this story before, oh, but boy. when I was in the military, I was in San Antonio. I was raped, and I decided, you know, with my faith, that I was going to have that baby. But I decided when that baby was born, I was going to get as far away from San Antonio as I can, and that's why I moved to Alaska. And I v- vowed never to go back to San Antonio again. So I cannot believe that you're now not only back in San Antonio. That was hard enough, but you're a chaplain in the same hospital where that happened to me. And he says, Mom. Uh, he, and then she said, and I never told you this, but you're that baby. And, she, and, and he said, but Mom. Look, your courageous decision to trust God, now the evil that was done to you in this hospital, the offspring of that evil is now back in this hospital and is helping people and is praying for people. God has done an amazing thing. And I think we shortchange the vision that God has for people that are missing hands, the people that are born with Down syndrome, the people that are born out of rape, that God is writing a bigger story. Let's not punish them for the despicable evil of someone who is willing to violate a woman like that. Yeah, I mean, we have to be able to separate the atrocity of rape and incest uh, from the life, the unborn life, the rights of that human that didn't deserve anything, didn't cause anything, wasn't responsible for any of that. And that's, that's hard to do. 
Yeah. You know, it's easy to say. It is. You know, and, and the reality, though, um, I don't know if this is a good time to bring it up, but several years ago I was uh, invited um, to an event with a group of pastors. There's about 20 of us, and a grant was issued to the National Association of Evangelicals and to do a report on sexuality, which included uh, issue of, uh, the issue of abortion. And uh, the grant required that they uh, unfold the results, whatever they were, to mm -hmm. a group of pastors, particularly from larger churches. And I was privileged to be a part of that. And when they said, um, okay, here's what all the findings show. Uh, they said that, that in reality, you can go after the issue of Roe v. Wade, and, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's probably the right thing to do, but it probably isn't going to be the thing that tips the scale on the saving of these of these unborn babies. He said, the facts are the vast majority of Americans claim to be Christians. Seven out of 10 Americans to this day claim to be Christians. And re the research shows that the vast majority of abortions are not coming from, from secular atheists mm -hmm. outside of the church. The right. vast majority are coming from within inside of the church. And the vast majority of abortion are the result of convenience. Mm -hmm. They're the result of it just wasn't a good time for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a teenage daughter. My yeah. dad doesn't want me to have a baby. I was with my boyfriend and he doesn't want to raise my child. I can't, or this is just not, we already have three children. And they said, you know, you can cha change Roe v. Wade, and you, and you should, and, and I'm certainly a part of that movement. But the bigger issue is that if you could just, within your own constituency, pastors, right. give your people a compelling uh, biblical worldview on the beauty and the sanctity of life right. that rests within the domain of God, mm -hmm. that could create the tipping point that would, uh, that would change this whole, right. this whole subject. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this yeah. is it's not to be condemning. It's not to um, make anyone feel worse about something they probably already feel horrible about. It's that so many people, they don't have the language. They don't have the understanding. They don't have clarity mm -hmm. on really how should we as Christ followers think about this? How should we feel about these things? Um, you know, everyone in the pro-choice movement is fighting for themselves, but everyone in the pro-life movement is fighting for someone else. And it's not about people trying to control uh, your body. It's nothing to do uh, with autonomy. It's everything to do with what is right. It's about defending the defenseless and speaking for those who have no voice and stopping violence against helpless individuals who mm -hmm. happen to be in the womb. And if we can't champion that in the church, where can you champion that? If we as followers of Jesus, right, Jesus who sacrifices his own life for people who could not do the work themselves, how much more can we not yeah. step into the gap for people who don't have a voice and who don't have the capacity to fight for themselves? That's good. Hey, I'll, I'm going to throw the next one at you. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, uh, uh, what, what if the mother's life is threatened? That's a little bit different than rape and incest, so right. let's talk about that. Right. Well, I mean, any pro-life law mm -hmm. is going to take that into consideration. I, I in a way, you can make the argument of self-defense as if it's a life versus a physical life, right? Not the emotional trauma of the mother versus a physical life or the convenience of mm -hmm. the mother versus a physical life. And so uh, there's always that, that application good. is made in the law that sometimes th there is a zero-sum game. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's, see, and, and that really is an intellectual response to it. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, we're not talking about apples to apples. Right. Uh, you know, here this is more apples to apples versus apples and oranges mm -hmm. in in that in that deal. I'm going to throw you the next one as well. <laughs> this is just men trying to control the body 
bodies of women. And right. and, and, and uh, I, I giggled at that because I'm throwing it to you, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and not because it's not a serious issue, because I really do believe emotionally, not intellectually, but emotionally, this is a driver for the pro-choice movement. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to just uh, wish this away, and because uh, I know that you know uh, it's hard to really it's really hard to beat the arguments that we've laid out, Troy, right. from an intellectual thing. I think that, that the shadow, there's a shadow mission behind this, and mm -hmm. behind it there's a lot of pain. Right. And again, probably not the best people to be doing this podcast from one right. point of view related to this, but uh, speak to that. Well, I would say that, you know, the, that question doesn't come out of nowhere, that, that men did indeed, as you, you said earlier, <clears throat> used to control women's bodies and wanted to make decisions for women. And it wasn't even until the 60s before the revolution of the birth control pill that, that women definitely were under the, you know, in more ways than just giving birth, but were under the um, unfair ruling of bad men. Yes. And so it, it, that question doesn't come out of nowhere, but it also, you get to a point where you say, look, it, Men have imaginations too, mm -hmm. and even though we cannot completely grasp the the lived experience of a woman who's going through this, that doesn't mean that you cannot stand for what is right. Mm -hmm. That means that you don't have a voice. You can't you, you can't speak into something that is uh, an atrocity, right? Uh, with legitimacy, because it is wrong. It's wrong whether I'm a man or I'm not. Yeah. And at the same time. To, to say that men are just trying to control women's bodies in this day and age, well, the truth is it's women who are leading this war against abortion. It's women who are leading the marches, women who are picketing the clinics, women who lead the organizations who are there as resources to help other women make a different choice. Absolutely. that That is uh, such a good deal. And I think there needs to be a revival uh, amongst uh, men in our country uh, a discipleship movement uh, where men um, uh, discover and encounter Jesus in a powerful way and uh, 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 grow uh, in Christ and, and know how to be husbands and fathers. Right. And uh, another thing I would say, it would uh, a little bit off the topic, is that if we would go back, and I know at some point we'll talk about this on our podcast. Uh, well, when we talk about marriage, when we talk mm -hmm. about the sanctity of marriage, if if we would just follow God's principles about uh, the sanctity of marriage, right. and that uh, se sex that God ordains is within inside the marriage covenant, I think that would wipe out the majority mm -hmm. of abortions is my hunch, I don't have, this is anecdotal right. for me, uh, I have a hunch that most married couples, not all, but many married couples who find out that they're pregnant are overjoyed, mm -hmm. or at least going like, wow, this is not a great time. I, that was the way it was with, was with our fortune. I'm like, wow, we got another one. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. But it seems to me that if we were to follow all of God's principles, <laughs> like if sex would be inside of marriage, right. it seems like a lot of abortions are coming uh, outside of the scope of right. the beauty of what God said over here. I don't know. Well, I just Absolutely. I've, I've thought this so many times. It's like, what, just <clears throat> as, as a thought experiment, what if a society, what if just say this city of Lenexa, mm -hmm. what if everyone just followed this one guideline that don't have sex with someone you're not married to? Yeah. What, what if? Yeah. What would that do to this conversation? What would that do in conversations regarding venereal disease? What yeah. would, what would, how would that affect things like teenage pregnancy mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, 
children having children unable to provide for their needs. And I mean, how would just that one guideline, how profound would that effect be? And that's just one thing that God gives us, not to control people, not to take something away from them, but to give them the fullness and the beauty of the way he has designed these relationships to work. Yeah, God loves us. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a right. lawgiver trying to snuff us out. And I think so many people right. have that view, and partly probably because the church has misbehaved mm-hmm. in handling this deal, but God is a God of love, and he's the creator. He's got it designed for us right. to experience the best in life. We just have to trust him to follow right. it. And if we would follow that, like you said, that one thing, oh, my gosh, it would really cause uh, so much goodness to, right. to happen. And... Um, I think you're absolutely right with that. And as Christ followers, you know, and as pastors, we're just trying to challenge people who follow Jesus to say, God isn't trying to take something from you. He's not trying to be a buzzkill, some kind of cosmic killjoy, like you said. He's trying to give something to you. Mm -hmm. He's trying to give you something whole and beautiful because you were designed and made in a certain way. And God knows how the operating system works. Mm. And he's trying to give you life. He's trying to give you abundance. He's trying to give you the beauty of what it is to have a child in the context of a covenant marriage, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, mm. and how that is his design for raising up children and the, the beauty of it and the power of that and the statistics we can get into about what happens with children when they're born with both a mother and a father and raised by a mother and a father. It's just astounding. And it's, it should be no surprise to us as Christ followers that that was his intention for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just trying to get people to fall in love again with this God who's trying to give the very best to us. Right. And uh, to, to not talk about what we're against, but to really talk about really what we are mm-hmm. for. I know we want to kind of wrap things up here. I wanted to tell uh, a, a story to make sure we end on um, this concept of forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, because I know this has been a tough conversation, and there may be some that started listening and just didn't have the stomach because of their own personal experience right. to finish it. And and I hope that, that you did. And that um, and I know we want to give people some resources, and I'll, right. I'll pass it off to you. But uh, when I was in San Antonio, I told that story of uh, Mike Shero, who's the president now of a C12, you know, right. that, you know, where his mom in Alaska and, and the whole story there. And, and uh, just, to sh- just to show that when we, when we put ourselves under the authority of scriptures, even though it can be hard and even though we sometimes don't understand it, God's plan works itself out for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it was on Saturday night. We had a Saturday night mm-hmm. service. And uh, I was also going to bring out a lady who uh, was willing to say she had three abortions and that she did not follow Mike's mom's advice and that she really was buried under the guilt of that, and, and rightfully so. Uh, but she ultimately found forgiveness, and we wanted to juxtapose the idea of the authority of God's word and the sanctity of life with forgiveness. Mm. And in the green room, they said, hey, listen, at the end of the service, you need to ask people in the service uh, who've had an abortion, who've never felt a sense of forgiveness, to stand up. And I said, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Who in their right mind would stand up in front of a group of people? Mm -hmm. And I said, and I brought uh, one of the elders in. They said, yeah, I think you should do it. And I'm like, okay, we'll do it on Saturday night because we have a group of women there from the Grace House, which is a a halfway house for incarcerated women. I said, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of them, you know, might have had an experience like this. So we'll do it on Saturday night. We'll see how it goes. So on Saturday night. All these people stood up. All the most of the Grace House ladies stood up, and then a bunch of other people stood up. Maybe forty people right. stood up, 
And uh, I remember particularly that night um, a young man coming to me and says, I forced my wife, my, bo- my girlfriend to have an abortion, and I've been carrying it. Uh, maybe not as much as she has been, but I'm the one who made her do it. Mm-hmm. We're not even together anymore, and I need relief. I need forgiveness from yeah. this. I've been carrying it. And I said, forgiveness is available to you. So we start in the next morning, and we have an 815 service like we have here at Westside, uh, and it's a lot of older people, you know. And, uh, and I go, there's no way, there's no reason for us to do that stand-up thing at the 815 service. These are all people, you right. know, 85 plus. And they said, nope, you need to do it. And I don't know why I agreed. I'm the, I was the main pastor, the you know. <laughs> I'm the pastor here. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Maybe some of them won't remember anyhow that I did it, you know, by the end of the service. And the very first person to stand up with tears strolling down her face mm. was an 86-year-old woman wow. who had been carrying it her entire life. And she came up to me almost collapsing yeah. and going for the first time in my life because it was in the community. I said, why, why didn't you feel like you could get that between? He said, I've begged God, but something about the community of believers tangibly, visibly affirming my forgiveness and my willingness to put myself in this vulnerable mm-hmm. position, I now feel relief from that. So what I want to say to everybody, if you have been in this situation before, yeah. that while we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, like Jesus, we're going to tell you the truth but we're never going to do it without that tension of grace right. and that as passionate as God is for the sanctity of life and our role to preserve that mm-hmm. and let that be God's domain, the same power uh, that is, avail- is available through the concept of forgiveness and that forgiveness is available to you. Yeah. And so uh, start afresh with God, and uh, we should probably offer yeah. a word of prayer before we wrap up as well. Yeah, well, just before we do that, just a couple of quick things. One, for all you mothers who... who who decided to keep your child. I, I was raised by a single mom mm. and a mom who, who did the best she could with me. And mm. she was phenomenal. And as hard as it is, and as much as we believe that God's ideal for human flourishing is to have a father and a mother raising their children in, in a covenant relationship and a covenant marriage, some of you didn't have that. And you have been courageous and you have worked yeah. your tail off and yeah. you have Born the burden of parenting children on your own, man. Our hats are off to you. Yes. And for those of you who might even find yourself on the edge of making a decision about whether you can or cannot, should or should not have an abortion, we just want you to know that there are a lot of people who've gone before you mm. who have made the choice to honor that life that is in them and that there are resources out there to help you. There are churches, there are communities, there are uh, parachurch organizations that are available to you to help support you in making that choice. There, um, There's a few places we want to send you to. One is uh, you can go to focusonthefamily.com slash pro-life, and they have a national list of resources available to you. Mm. Here in Kansas City, There is a, you can go to the website adviceandaid.com. Dot com advicesandaid.com that's a local resource that yeah. you guys are familiar with yes absolutely that's yeah. who that's who we lean into here in Kansas City in Kansas mm-hmm. City and then um, so a couple other things there's a, a film that you can see on Amazon Prime uh, and probably other places called Unplanned yeah. which is a really remarkable story true story yeah uh, so it's a great resource for you just to go and get a little bit more perspective and a little more information and then um, nationally you can go to optionline.org and they can help find you support for your pregnancy locally. So you can call 1-800-712-4357. This will also be in the show notes on the website. Or you can text HELPLINE to 313131. Mm. So our heart here is for you to be encouraged. Our heart for you is to have clarity. 
and to know, as Randy just said so eloquently, that there is forgiveness. We're not here with condemnation, but we're here to uphold God's value for the beauty of human life. Yeah, amen. So, Randy, thanks for leading us through this. Yeah, you as well, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope you guys are ready to roll up your sleeves, because next week we're going to explore what Jesus has to say about racial reconciliation. So we would love to get your feedback and more questions from you. In December, we're going to be doing an episode just based purely on the questions that you submit Mm -hmm. at westsidefamily.church/slash podcast. We would love to hear your heart. We would love to get your response. And if you need any more clarity or have any feedback for us, we would love to hear from you. So uh, you can go to that show page and uh, let us know how things are going. So, mm. Randy, thank you so much, you my you. friend. I appreciate I you. Yeah, yeah. How about I close us in a word of prayer? Please. Can we do that, I yeah. think, on the topic like this? Yeah. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for the opportunity of sharing this experience with Troy. And uh, right now, we just pray for anybody that is listening. Uh, anybody that is watching, uh, that they would just be super inspired mm-hmm. by a loving, amazing God who grants life and who ordains the number of days we are to walk on this planet, who forms us in the womb of our mother, even under the dire circumstances, God, is you are, is, you are present with us. And may we fall in love with you afresh again, and may we revere you that the issue of life is your domain, and we are to hold it precious. And Father, I just pray for our nation, and I pray for our country, that it would begin with the followers of Jesus, that we would take on a view of life that is, uh, that is your view of life, and that we would hold it with great conviction in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, Father, I also want to turn to those right now who have been deceived by um, maybe government laws that let them believe it was okay or by the pressure of a boyfriend or by just the immaturity of inconvenience or a parent who didn't want this to be a part of their story and now they're living with a lot of pain. I pray, Father, for them right now that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that forgiveness is available to them and they can rebuild from this point on. I pray, Father, they would just simply reach out to you right now and they would experience that forgiveness. And, Father, may you just blanket them with your grace and mercy right now. I pray for the women in our country. I pray for the women in our church, Father, as they seek to lead this movement, that you would give them courage and wisdom. And I pray for all those who disagree with Troy and I, those who wouldn't necessarily have an abortion on their own, uh, but, Father, are totally pro-choice. And may we really declare again that we are also, Father, uh, we are for people, and we are for women, and we are for families, and we are for marriages. It's not about being against something. It's about being for. But we're going to draw a line here when it comes to the sanctity of life, whether that is at conception or it's an elderly person grasping for their last breath, that that person is a full human being before you, and we will protect it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. We hope the conversation has challenged you and perhaps sparked some new ideas. If you'd like some additional notes and helpful links, visit the episode page at westsidefamily.church slash podcast. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Our last episode of the season, we'll devote an entire show to your questions. So you can also tell us what topics you'd like to hear and discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us today and God bless you.